John chapter 21. We're going to get in it today. Now look at somebody and just tell them, we're going to work this word today. We're going to work this word. Amen. John chapter 21, verses 15 through 25. I'm going to continue this thought on proof. And I know the Lord's going to touch you, but this thing is, I've been carrying this for a few days and I need to get it out. That's all right. John chapter 21. And we're going to start reading with verse 15. We're going to bounce back to that shore where Jesus is standing there at Tiberias and welcomed his disciples to a breakfast. And we'll pick up with verse 15 where the Bible says, when they had dined, Jesus said to Simon, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me more than these? He said unto him, yes, Lord, you know I love thee. He said unto him, feed my lambs. He said to him again the second time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? He said, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said unto him, feed my sheep. He said unto him the third time, Simon, lovest thou me? Peter was grieved because he said unto him the third time, lovest thou me? And he said unto him, Lord, you know all things. You know I love you. Jesus said unto him, feed my sheep. Verily, verily, I say unto you, when thou was young, you girded yourself and you walked wherever you wanted to walk. But when you shall be old, you shall stretch forth your hands and another shall put your clothes on you. And carry you where you would not. This spake he signifying what death he should glorify God. I love the way Jesus looks at death. What death he should glorify God. Huh. And when he had spoken this, he said unto him two words, follow me. Say those two words. Then Peter turning about, seeth the disciple whom Jesus loved, what was he doing? Following. Which also leaned on his breast at supper and said, Lord, which is he that betrayeth thee? Peter seeing him saith to Jesus, Lord, what shall this man do? Speaking of John. And Jesus said unto him, if I will that he tarry till I come, what is that to you? Follow me. Then went this saying abroad among the brethren, this is where gossip starts, rumors start like this, that the disciple should not die. Jesus never said that. And Jesus said, Jesus said not unto him he shall not die. But if I will, if I will that he tarry till I come, what is that to you? Look at someone next to you and tell him, mind your own business. You've been wanting to tell him that for a week. Look at your other neighbor and say the same thing because that was probably not your wife. Verse 24. <laughs> this is the disciple which testifies of these things and wrote these things and we know that his testimony is true. Now that's interesting that John is talking about himself. <laughs> John says, I'm the one who wrote this and I'm telling the truth. And there are also many other things which Jesus did the which if they should be written every one I suppose that even the world itself could not contain the books boy that's strong if everything was written that he did even the world itself could not contain the books that she be, should be written that's strong stuff I'm going to preach a message this morning proof three but I'm going to call it he still wants you look at three people and tell them he still wants you Father, we thank you for the reading of your word and just for the next few minutes of time, we ask you to enlighten the eyes of our understanding because what we understand, you said, cannot be taken from us. And I pray that an anointing would be released in this building today, an anointing that breaks the yoke, an anointing that would dismiss generational curses, an anointing that would break any generational spiritual stronghold 
in people's lives. Let liberty reign in this place. We give you praise today for the great things that you're about to do. Now I want you to praise him like you know God is about to do something great for you. Come on. I want you to praise him like he's just about to answer that prayer that you've been asking for. Hallelujah. Well, look at three people and tell them it's on in the building and then you may be seated. Amen. Proof. Proof. When I read this text this morning, I saw three things. Three words stood out to me. Love, love, love. Feed, feed, feed. And finally, follow, follow, follow. We've been on this subject for three weeks. Acts chapter 1 verse 3. Jesus showed himself alive after his passion by many infallible proofs. There it is. Being seen of them 40 days. 40 days. The number of maturation. The number of proving. The number of probation. The number of manifestation, 40. I've been saying it and I'll say it again. We're great as preachers about preaching Jesus right to the cross. We preach him into the tomb and we gladly preach him getting up on the third day. But then usually after Easter, preachers just start preaching whatever preachers want to preach. And we really don't tell you about the 40 days after he resurrected what he was doing and why he was doing it. He didn't just resurrect to resurrect. He resurrected in power. And when he came back in power, he imparted peace. He spoke of provision. But the Bible specifically says he showed himself alive after his passion by many infallible proofs. Just for the sake of rehearsal, let's consider that word infallible again. Infallible means impossible or incapable of making a mistake incapable of being wrong. The God you serve, it is incapable of him to make a mistake. He is incapable of being wrong. All of that says God is sovereign. He is in control at all times. God does not make a mistake. You are not a mistake. He was not wrong when he called you. He was not wrong when he chose you. He was not wrong when he baptized you with the Holy Spirit. He was not wrong when he justified you. He was not wrong as he sanctified you. He will not be wrong when he glorifies you. He cannot be wrong. Therefore, you are not a mistake. You are a purpose. You are an appointment in time to accomplish his assignment. That's powerful. One of these infallible proofs that stand out to me in the post-resurrection days of Jesus Christ. Lord, help me teach today because I want to preach. One of the infallible proofs that stand out to me as a distinct characteristic of Christ in the 40 days of his post-resurrection 
is this one idea, restoration. Restoration. Resurrection is powerful. Restoration is incredible. Last week I told you that he appeared the second time specifically for one guy. What was his name? Thomas. He came back the second time in the same way, in the same day, saying the same thing just because Thomas wasn't there the first time. He loves you so much that he'll make a special visit just for you. If everyone was here the first time and one person was missing, he would come back the second time for that one person that was missing the first time. Now, I don't know what you all call that, but I call that incredible love. I said to you when he appeared to them last week, when he appeared to them in that room, the Bible says they were there because of fear. It wasn't faith that got him in that room. It was fear that brought him to that room because the disciples were afraid he showed up and spoke peace. When you are terrified, mortified, trepidation has filled your soul. Every phobia that can can be imagined is in your home. Know that he will show up. When every door is locked, when every door is shut, he will walk through anything to get peace to you. He's the prince of peace. I need to know if there's anybody in this building that loves him like he loves you. He loves you enough to go through anything to replace your fear with peace. Something about this guy. Something about this one. Simon Peter. Something about this guy. Something about him. Simon Peter. This is not Thomas. Uh -uh. This is not Bartholomew. Mm -mm. This is not John even. This is not Matthew. This is Simon. Now, wait a minute now. This is the one that he's going to build his church upon the confession of the revelation that proceeded out of the mouth of Simon Peter. Something about this dude right here. Restoration. Restoration. Huh. I thought of this this morning that all of us have heard messages about Peter denying Jesus three times. We've all heard that, right? He denied him three times and and that's why Jesus asked him three times, do you love me? For every time you denied me, I have restored you. Last week we talked about discouragement and doubt, but today this is another level. It's another level when you cussing people out. Oh, I'm sorry. That's what he did. Yeah, this guy, Peter, he cussed the girl out that said, I saw you with him. And Jesus said, I, or Peter said, I don't know him. And he cussed her out. Oh, I know you have never. Especially since you've been sanctified, you have never used bad language. No. Well, there are three areas that had to be dealt with in the process of restoration. Jesus speaks to Peter's passion Then he speaks to his position. And finally, he deals with Peter's pursuit. I'm going to show it to you. But before I do, let me say this. You can't restore someone to a position they're not passionate about. Say it again, Pastor Rick. I'm going to say it one more again. You cannot restore someone's passion 
or so, restore someone to a position that they are not passionate about. When people lose their passion for their position, you can beg, you can plead. Is that Pastor Jimmy? Hold on a minute, brother. I love you, man. Y'all, hey, y'all, how y'all doing? Pastor, I love you, man. Okay, let me go ahead. I, I would never see him not address that. Love that man. Are y'all still with me? What was I saying then? That's what I thought. I just took that break just to see. He would never restore someone to a position that that person is not passionate about. When people lose their passion for their position, you can beg, you can bargain, you can negotiate, you can plead, but if they are not passionate about their position, there's nothing you can do to keep them there. Peter lost his position. He never lost his passion. I'm going to show it to you. Come on in the building. Jesus is clear about one thing in all of the gospel messages that he preached. And that one thing is made up of two words. Follow me. Say those two words. And that's pursuit. What does it mean to restore? What does it mean? I better pick up my cadence here. I'm casually discussing this thing with you. But I feel I need to pick up my pace because where I'm going is very strong. But I thought I would just meander our way through this message to get you enough intrigued that you may get involved. But I'll just keep talking. See, restoration is powerful. What does that mean to restore? To restore means to bring back to use again. That makes me smile because I have felt unusable. I don't know if you've ever prayed that prayer. Lord, can you reuse me to bring back to the original or to, to bring back to your normal condition, to bring back to a healthy place, to give soundness, to give vigor, vehemence, to put back in proper position. To reproduce it or to reconstruct it. Come on here. We've all either gone through restoration. Or we will go through restoration. Or we are currently being restored. Now I'm going to say that one more time. Because that's a great truth you're going to have to embrace. We have all either gone through restoration. We will go through restoration or we are currently being restored. But restoration is something you're never going to get around when you're living this thing we call the Christian life. You're either going to have to deal with it in you or deal with it with somebody around you. But restoration is going to always be in the vocabulary of the believer. You can't escape it. And Jesus is in the business of restoration. So he comes back to the shore, makes these boys some breakfast and says, come and dine with me. From fish that he already had that they were searching for. Lord have mercy I have what you are fishing for he feeds them and then he looks at one guy this guy Simon Peter do you love me everyone say passion Verse 15, verse 16, and verse 17, four words. Do you love me? Verse 15, Simon, do you love me more than these? Talking about the other men. Whew. He said to him, Lord, you know I love you. He said, feed my lambs. He said to him the second time, Simon, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know that I love you. He said, feed my sheep. Now let's stop there because you know he's going to ask him the third time, do you love me? 
But for those of you who do proper exegesis of scripture, what I just said to you, for those of you who study the Bible, you will know that the first two times he asked him, do you love me, that the word love there is agape. That's a general sense of the meaning of the word love. Do you love me? It means to love much in a social and moral sense. Do you love me like that? The desire or will to embrace the duty and the principles that I leave with you. So here's the question. Peter, do you love me enough to live a life with morals in it? Oh, Lord. Do you love me enough to embrace the principles that I've imparted to you? Do you love me enough to live right? That's agape love. The first two times he asked him, do you love me enough to live right? You're not going to live right out of fear. There ain't nobody going to live right out of fear. You're going to live right because you love him not because you're afraid of him. Perfect love. Woo, cast out all fear. Hmm. It's a love that comes with knowledge. I know enough about you to love you. But the third time, Simon, do you love me? This is the highest expression of love. This is phileo. What does that mean? To have affection for or to be fond of. In other words, Peter, is there a personal attachment to me? Are y'all with me? Is there a connection between you and I? Am I your source? Am I your strength? Now, I'm not asking you if you love me enough to do right. I'm asking you, do you love me enough to say that we have a personal relationship? That we have a personal connection? Do you love me enough to realize that without me, you can do nothing? I got that question for you today. I'm not asking you, do you love him enough to come to church on Sunday? Preach in here, Pastor Rick. That's your duty. A moral sense will tell you to forsake not the assembling of yourselves together as the manner of some is, especially as you see the day approaching. That's a general sense of love. But my question to you today is, do you love him enough that you would say, I can do nothing without you? I have a personal connection with you. That if none of these disciples was here, I would still love you. If they all walk out, I'm going to still love you. And that's what he said. If they all deny you, I will never deny you. And Jesus said, before the rooster crows, you're going to deny me three times. He did not say you will not love me. He just said you're going to deny me. Now I know everybody in here, no one in this building has ever denied him. I know you've been a perfect saint. But when he asked him the third time, he's saying, do you love me to the point that you can't wait for our next encounter? Do you love me so much that you live off of the experiences that we've enjoyed together? Oh, I don't know if this church is hearing me preach to you today. Do you love me enough that the last time my presence was made manifest among you, you've longed for that more than you've longed for meeting a new friend, more than you've longed for needing a new job, more than you've longed for the food that you eat. How much do you love me, Peter? Am I the most important thing in your life? You know what I heard God saying while I prepared this here? In the restoration of passion 
the Lord asked this question, will you return to your first love? Do y'all not remember when y'all were saved? Does anybody in here remember when you were born again? 1976, March of 1976, I walked an aisle, gave my life to Jesus Christ, and I got saved in the kind of church that you had to be saved, baptized, and filled with the Holy Spirit all on the same night. And if you didn't get all three, you weren't complete. So you give your life to Jesus, you go down in the water, and you come up speaking in tongues. If you don't, you're going back down in the water. But you're going to say something when you come up out that water. And I just started to finally come up out that water speaking in a real unknown tongue. I was Holy Ghost filled, fire baptized. When I came up out of there, it was like somebody turned the light on. In my life, there was 2,500 people in that church and I wanted to hug every single one of them. People I hated. I couldn't stand them. I wanted to hug them. Because when you get really saved, y'all not hearing me preach here. When you get really born again, something happens in your heart and you get a passion you get a love for God and you get a love for his people. And what is Jesus doing with Simon Peter? He's checking his love level. Do you still love me? And do you still love my people? I believe the Holy Ghost in this building today checking your love level. He wants to know, do you love him enough to stay attached when all hell is breaking loose? Do you love him enough to stay connected to him when everything in your life is going wrong? I need to know if anybody in this building loves him with all your heart. The Holy Ghost says, return to your first love. Get your passion back. Get your zeal back. Get your vehemence back. Get your heat back. I was glad when they said unto me, I'm going to give you 15 sanctified seconds to love on him with some praise. Come on, get some passion in your praise. Tell him, I love you more than anything. Throw your head back and tell him, I love you more than anything. Let me, let me move on here. Woo, yes, 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 yes. Holy Ghost. Woo. 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 Yeah, proof, proof, you want proof? Proof is this, he still restores. Proof is this fact, he still wants you. So he said, first thing we need to deal with, Peter, is your passion, let's deal with it. Let's deal with, do you love me? Lord, you know I love you. Do you love me? You ever done that to your wife? Babe, do you love me? Of course I love you. Yeah, but baby, do you really love me? When I do that right there, Giovanna says, here comes Pity Ricky. Here comes Pity Ricky. And then I, I have to ask her a third time, well, do you really love me? <laughs> baby, I love you. Then feed River Ricky. I'm just kidding. I'm sorry, I cracked myself up sometimes. And when I said that, I had a joke run right through my mind. You want to hear it? It has nothing to do with the message. I'll share it with you anyway. So this 80-year-old man is fishing. This frog comes by him floating on a lily pad. Old man looks at the frog. Cast his rod. Frog says, Old man looks down at the frog. I'm just telling y'all this joke to get your attention. <laughs> Old man looks at the frog and said, are you talking to me? He said, yeah. He said, hey, man, if you, if you kiss me, he said, I'll turn into a beautiful lady. Old man said, what did you say? Frog said, if you kiss me, I'll turn into a beautiful lady. Old man reached down and got the frog, stuck him in his pocket, started fishing again. Old man says, are you talking to me again? Frog looks at him and says, yeah, I told you. If you kiss me, 
I will turn into a beautiful lady. Old man said, at my age, I'm more interested in a talking frog than a beautiful lady. <laughs> anyway. Yeah. So he restores his passion, right? Now watch this. Then he tells him after every time he deals with his passion, now don't miss this here, after every time he deals with his passion, he alludes or refers to his position. Do you love me? Feed. Do you love me? Feed. Do you love me? Feed. I'm thinking about this. Return to your call. Number one, return to your first love. That's me. Now return to what I called you to do. Whew. Because anytime Jesus deals with our passion, he's always going to relate it to our position. Don't miss this here. He tells him, nurture and nourish those I have given you influence with. What does a shepherd have over sheep? Influence. So before you relate this to pastors, and we'll deal with that, this is just anyone with influence, daddy. This is anyone with influence, husband. Single mom, anyone with influence. He says, feed my sheep. Verse 16 Peter says to him, you know I love you. He said unto him, now listen in the Greek what he says now. Take care of my sheep. Take care of my sheep. What is he saying? Watch the pace of your flock. Husband, watch the pace of your children. Watch the pace of those that I've given you oversight with. This is good stuff, man. So I started thinking about shepherds, people with influence. Shepherds, real shepherds, lead when sheep are hungry or thirsty. Boy, I'm going to preach on that for a minute. Let me go to the pastor. You can't lead people that ain't hungry. Josh, you hear me? You, you and I talk all the time. You, and that word you gave me this morning, you wait till Pentecost, brother. Yeah. Watch this. You can't lead people who ain't thirsty. Jesus said, blessed are those who hunger and thirst. You can't. You can lead a horse to the trough, but you can't make him drink. Are y'all hearing me? It's easy to lead a congregation that's... Boy, you just, say, you just whisper something that is close to the address. They start hollering. Talk about it. Tell it, Pastor. Or they say, come on, I'm right here. Preach to me. That's hunger. That's thirst. You can't lead a flock that's not hungry and thirsty. Shepherds lead when they're hungry and thirsty, but they follow when the sheep are pregnant and carrying something. See, really good pastors, they know when to lead and they know when to follow. Here's why. A healthy flock will produce sheep. Shepherds don't produce sheep. The church ain't growing faster. Ain't my fault. The church ain't growing. Ain't nobody coming back. You ain't got to convince me about my revelation, honey. I know I'm bringing word. I know I'm feeding. I don't know if y'all breeding. Sheep begat sheep. Hmm. Now, the reason why a shepherd would follow his sheep 
is because they're carrying or they're pregnant. If you push too hard on them, they will lose what they're carrying. When you try to control people, you smother their dream instead of help them birth their dream. You got to know when to shift from leading to following. And when you're following, you don't drive them. You encourage them to move. Because you got a dream living in you. And my responsibility is to make sure your dream is birthed. Same with a father with children. You got to know when to lead them and you got to know when to follow them. Same with a husband with a wife. You got to know when to lead her and you got to know when to follow her. So when he says, take care of my sheep, this is what he's saying. Know when to be in front of them. Lord. I'm going to tell you, if I was in a sanctified church, somebody would have a hanky right now. You better say that. <laughs> I hear you. And finally, if you're going to really take care of the sheep, shepherds know when to stand in the middle of the flock. They know when to be in front. They know when to be behind. But when do they stand in the middle? When the flock is afraid. The shepherd gets in the middle. And he tells the sheep, everybody just gather around. Everything going to be all right. Because I'm going to tell you one thing the enemy is afraid of. He ain't afraid of sheep. That's what he comes to kill. But when he knows a shepherd is among them. Y'all not hearing me. Daddy, when you are in the middle of your family, your children are going to be fine. But you can't be on the outskirts. You got to be in the middle of their phone. You got to be in the middle of their life. You got to be in the middle of everything they involved in. And you got to tell the devil, don't you come up in here messing with my baby. I tell you now, in Jesus' name, don't wait for your wife to walk around your house praying, oh, Lord, I bind the devil in Jesus' name. I plead the blood. Why are women having to do that? Why can't a man get up in there, the one with the influence, stand in the middle of your house and tell the devil, don't you come on my yard. Don't you come to my address. Don't you get in my baby's phone. Don't you come near. Shepherd, get in your place. Get in your position. And this is what Jesus is talking. I'm sorry, y'all. This is what Jesus is telling Peter. Get back in your position. Take care of the flock, man. Be the leader. Men ought to be ashamed of themselves. Asking their wives, do you want to go to church today? What the heck's wrong with you? And you wonder why your children's crazy? Would you like to go to church today, baby? What kind of man are you? Get up and put your suit on. Straighten your bow tie. Walk in your dead gum wife's room and say, baby, put your dress on. Get your high heels on. Walk in Junior's bedroom and say, Junior, get your tail up out the bed. We're going to church today. Now, Junior, do you feel like going to church today, Junior? I know that's old school. Pastor Rick, that's old fashioned. A belt is old fashioned. You know how long we've been wearing belts? Would y'all like to follow me to church today? Would you like to go? You look like them guys at Sonic. I dare y'all to shout, get back in your position. And for all you single ladies with children, that's why you need to be in church. Because when you ain't got a husband to cover you, you got a house that will cover you. I don't know how a single woman with children thinks she gonna get by without the house of God in her life. I better get off that soapbox because I'll wear that thing out. While I'm speaking, while I'm talking about it, while we dealing with it, let me help you. 
You bring your teenagers to church. Here, rule number one. Go to the bathroom now. When? Before church. Go in there and pee pee. I'm standing here waiting on you. Go pee pee. When they walk up in this church and they look at you and say, Mom, I need to go to the bathroom, you look at them and say, Sit down. But I need to go, Mom. I need to go. Sit down. You should have went before we got here. Well, my stomach hurts. Then we all leaving. And if you don't poop at the house, I'm going to wear your tail out. That too real for y'all? Get over it. Dead people getting up and down. Teenagers walking everywhere. People looking. And I'm sitting there preaching, watching you go. Well, I wonder where he's going. Ain't going nowhere. Sit down. Sit down. Sit down. See, old look. Ask Josh Reyes, Erica Reyes, Crystal Harbert, and Justin Harbert. How was I in my 40s? You get, there you go, Josh. You get up to go to the bathroom, what I'm going to do in the middle of a sermon with 2,500 people in the building, what am I going to say? Hey, Josh, where are you going? 2,500 people like, what's Josh doing? Sit down. Are you being serious, Pastor Rick? Heck yeah. I took a baseball bat to my pulpit, a Louisville slugger. When my daughter turned 16, I leaned it against the pulpit. I said, some of y'all are wondering what this bat is for. This is for boys who are thinking about dating my daughter. Pastor, are you serious? Heck yeah. Because ain't nobody going to violate my property. Nobody going to violate my family. Okay, I know some of y'all getting mad. Go ahead and get mad. That's why your children crazy getting suspended and all kind of crap in school. I'm sorry. Sorry about that. Because we ain't got no shepherds that'll stand up and take care of their flock. Somebody shout as loud as you can. Handle your business. Amen. Handle your business. Hmm. I got one more point. I don't even know if y'all can handle it. So number one, he came and restored his passion. Love me, man. Love me. Be sure you love me. Number two, get back in your position. See, most people want folks restored. They just don't want them to have the position they once occupied. That's not Jesus. Jesus said, get back in your place, man. Ooh, Lord. Third thing he says. Y'all want me to stop? Because I, I know I done wore y'all out. Oh, Lord. You stepping on my toes, Pastor. That's all right. Put some lotion on it when you get home. Let your wife rub your feet. Jesus said, I say unto you, when you were young, you put your own clothes on. You walk where you wanted to walk. But you're going to get old. You're going to stretch forth your hands and somebody else is going to put your clothes on. And they're going to carry you to a place you don't want to go, signifying the death that Peter would suffer, which was upside down, crucified. We won't go there. And when he had spoken this, he said to Peter two words. What was it? Follow me. Everyone say pursuit. pursuit. 
Passion, position, pursuit. I'm done on this one. Peter turning around, seeing the disciple whom Jesus loved. What was he doing? Following. Hmm. He said, Lord, what's going to happen with him? Peter seeing him said to Jesus, what, what's this man? What's going to happen with this man? Watch, watch what Jesus said. Mind your own business. Hmm. Told y'all. Told you. He said, you follow me. What's it to you if he's alive when I come back? Something about Simon. Something about Simon. Something about Simon. Mark chapter 16, verse 6 and 7. I won't read it. I'll just tell you about it. They come to the grave, and what happens? He says, look, the one you're looking for is gone. He's risen like he said. He said, now, here's what I want you to do. Go ahead of the disciples and tell them. Watch this. And Peter. Read it for yourself. Mark chapter 16, verse 6 and 7. He said, tell the disciples and Peter. In other words, especially. Especially Peter. I love how Jesus loves us all by ourselves. He loved Thomas all by himself last week. This week, he's loving Peter all by himself. And he says, tell the disciples, oh, but especially Peter, because I know that dude. I know him. This boy's impetuous. He does crazy stuff. He sees me walking on water. He thinks he can walk on water. I know him. He does crazy stuff. People show up to arrest me, and he cuts their ear off with a sword. Watch that dude. Hmm. Now, what's funny to me is Peter had already warmed himself by the fire of the foes of Christ. Peter had already denied him three times, yet he says, tell the disciples and Peter. Watch what he tells Peter. Hey, Peter, things are going to change. Follow me. You're going to move from being independent to interdependent. You used to put your own clothes on. Things are going to change. Follow me. Peter, your strength is going to diminish. Follow me. The first thing he ever told Peter in Mark, Matthew chapter 4, verse 18 and 19, he saw him fishing with his brother Andrew. He looked at Peter and he said two words. Follow me. And they dropped their nets and followed him. The first words he spoke to Peter were follow me. The last words he spoke to Peter was follow me. The Lord spoke to me and said, tell my people to stop following everything else but me. Stop following the media. Stop following your Facebook. Stop following Instagram. Stop following others' opinions. Stop following anything else. Start following me. It's the first thing I told you, and it's the last thing I'm going to tell you. Follow me. Ooh, read it in the Greek. It means come here. Even from the back, read it in the Greek. Even from the back, still follow me. Even if you feel secure following from the rear position, still follow me. Just get to where you can see me. Just get to where you can gaze at me, but follow me. You might not be on the front row, but follow me. You may be discouraged, follow me. You might not have a ton of faith, still follow me. Let me fix this for you. Why do we let the way other people serve mess with us? Why? Soon as Jesus said, follow me, Peter said, what about him? Peter's got a way of losing focus. 
He's walking on water right toward Jesus, takes his eyes off of Jesus, puts it on the storm, and sinks. Jesus is telling him, follow me, and he's looking around. Oh, there's John. Oh, what about him? Why do we get distracted in our, I'm going to make up a word here, in our fellowship? By the way, other people follow. He's leaving, so I'm leaving too. Well, you know, so-and-so left. Well, baby, we probably ought to leave too. Are you stupid? Boy, that just hit you right in the heart. Well, what about, what about them? What about them? Mind your own dadgum business. That's what Jesus tells him. You ain't got nothing to do with them. Can I read to you Romans 1? Okay, I will. Romans 14, 1. Except the one whose faith is weak without quarreling over disputable matters. One, one person's faith allows them to eat anything, but another whose faith is weak eats only vegetables. The one who eats everything must not treat with contempt the one who does not eat everything. And the one who does not eat everything must not judge the one who eats everything. For God has accepted both of them. Who are you to judge someone else's serve? To their own master servants stand or fall. And they will stand for the Lord is able to make them stand. Do not, listen to me, do not be discouraged by what you see in yourself. And you don't see the same trouble in them. Do not be discouraged that they are allowed to do such and so and not convicted about it. And you try to make them convicted because you feel like you are the sheriff authorized from heaven to make sure everybody else is living right. Heaven didn't deputize you to judge people. Heaven authorized you to drive out demons. If you would get your mind off of people and get your mind on evil spirits, things would change. You don't have the authority to tell somebody else how to serve God. You got the authority to bind up principalities, powers, and rulers in heavenly places. Quit acting like a sheriff using your badge and start acting like a sheriff that pulls his gun and says, Devil, come up off my house. Come up off these children. Peter knew what was going to happen to him. Jesus told him. But that didn't satisfy him. I don't know what's going to happen with him. Everyone shot none yeah. Y'all want to finish it? None your business. Okay, I stop. I've learned, I've learned that following is an art. And in this generation, everyone wants to lead. Nobody wants to follow. Nobody wants to follow. And Jesus, Paul even said it, follow me as I follow Christ. Jesus didn't say go and make leaders. He said go and make disciples. Disciples are learners. See, if you would trade your ego from trying to lead to trying to learn, you'd be a better disciple. Seem like y'all upset with me. I'm sorry if I said things that offended you. We got to get somebody who wants to learn something. Amen. Whew. You go to the bookstore and you're going to find a thousand books on leadership. You ain't going to find one on following. Because pastors have not taught you how to follow. You even tell your children, you're a leader, baby. You're a leader. You're a leader. Why don't you look at them and say, no, you're not a leader. You are 10. You are a follower. And let me tell you who you follow. M-E. Me. You don't follow your little Jack friend at school, little Frankie and them. You don't follow them. You follow me. Jesus said it himself. He said, I only do what I see my father doing. The greatest follower was Jesus. I only do what I see my daddy doing. What if your children only did what you did? Oh, I hope not.
Well, what a great ending to a message. So I started thinking, and I even called Josh. I said, Josh, on my way to church, I said, find me a couple of scriptures that talk about the benefits of following. Like if you follow, God will give you something. Just dig in the Bible, man. There's something in there that says, if you follow, you get a bright, brand new Cadillac. If you follow, you get $1,000. Guess what I found? Nothing. Because you don't follow to get. Listen to me. You follow to learn. Learners now make leaders later. Boy, there's some people in. If y'all could see the faces I'm looking at. Some people smiling, clapping, laughing, and some people are looking at me like. I didn't like the way you talked to us today, Pastor. You're going to be all right. Love. Love, love, follow, 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 feed, feed, feed. Let's do it again in order. Love, 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 feed, feed, follow, follow, follow. That was the restoration. It's real simple. Did you learn anything today? Hebrews 11 does say this. For those of you who need a reason to follow, I'll go ahead and give it to you. Here it is. He is a rewarder of those that diligently pursue him. He's a rewarder of those that diligently seek him. There is a reward in following. But you don't follow for the reward. You follow to learn. And if you follow to learn, you'll eventually lead. Do you mind standing with me, please? And let's lift our hands toward heaven. Father, deal with us. Deal with us. Would you lift your hands, please? Father, deal with us. Deal with men in here. Deal with men in this building. Deal with these men. That they would love you more than anything that they would feed their flock and that they would follow no matter the cost. Deal with the women in here, God, about their passion, their position, their pursuits. Deal with us today. Have your way. Convict us. Lord, I pray that the spirit of conviction just sit down in this place right now. Convict us about how we've led Convict us about being good shepherds to our flocks. Convict us. Father, please, Lord, deal with us. We want to raise our kids right. We want to lead our families right. Deal with us. <laughs>